tower traffic and I will have my hands up and I will be praising. And yeah, people are going to look over there and be like, look at that weirdo. What are they doing? And someone's going to go, I think they're worshiping. Whoa. You want to see the seas part? Talk about traffic. You start praying, dude, the seas, it's just going to part. <laughs> Green lights. <laughs> uh, all right, Matthew chapter 9. Let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. word. Nice. Nice. Okay, so a few announcements. I want to welcome you, um, new guests. Welcome to Firewall Bible Fellowship. Can we greet them, please? <laughs> welcome. Hey, I want to tell you, it's been so incredible. Every single week, we're having new visitors come, lots of new visitors. And that, yeah, let's celebrate that. We have new children in our children's ministry, new students in our student ministry. I mean, here's, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing God bring people. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to do everything we can do, absolutely everything we can do, so that those who are new or have just recently started coming, so you can feel welcomed and at home. And that means, listen up, church. If you've been here for a long time, and you're like, this is my church. <laughs> no, this is Jesus' church. And Jesus' church is loving and welcoming and embracing and like welcomes people. And it's like, whoa, you're new. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. So I uh, just want to encourage you that uh, if you have not stopped by the Welcome Center and visited with my lovely wife, Madeline, who is incredibly lovely and beautiful and wonderful. Um, and you may be wondering who that was while well, she was doing announcements, which she did a phenomenal job this morning. Um, and so I want to encourage you to go to the Welcome Center. Uh, if we have not met, my name is Chris Carroll. And yes, I've got a little bit of energy. And uh, as we get to know each other, you, uh, you're going to see it. And, and God is just, I pray, is going to fill you. Fill you with his spirit and fill you with his passion and make you hungry and thirsty and the fire come down and burn the sacrifice on the altar of your heart and that God starts doing powerful things in and through your life. So this morning, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're living in a world in an economy where everyone's hiring. Have you all noticed that? There's like jobs everywhere. And like some of the, the, uh, the salaries or some of the hourly wages, like for example, you can work at Pizza Hut for $315,000 a year, right? Like have you all seen that sign? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Because uh, everyone's, like, everybody's literally trying to hire. Like, every business is having, like, hiring fairs and trying to get people to come. And, and here's, here's something that's interesting that's, that's very, very similar to what's happening when it comes to the kingdom. Because the kingdom is hiring. The kingdom is hiring. And, and here's the deal. If you're willing, if you're willing to apply... You, you literally will, will be, be hired and, and be used to do some of the most significant things that will literally shake the foundations of culture. And it will literally lead to the salvation of thousands of people who do not know Jesus. That literally right now, there are thousands and thousands of people around us right now who do not know Jesus, who are lost, but they are literally the lost sheep. And Jesus is going to tell you to go get my sheep. He's going to say, it's time to start working in the field because it's white for harvest and it's time to start harvesting. And I want to tell you right up front, it all starts happening in your life when you're willing to ask. The power of ask. And we're going to see that this morning as we, as we continue our study in the gospel of Matthew. Just to reorient our minds of where we're at, we're starting in chapter 9. We're going to work our way into chapter 10. And if you don't know this, we go verse by verse through the scriptures. So we look at the text. Uh, and in fact, before we do, are, do you have a Bible? Everybody have a Bible? Who has, who has a Bible? Raise it up. Okay, and if you've got a digital Bible, raise that thing up too. Okay, so keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. So Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that these would not just be words on a page or on a pad, but that these words would be living. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear. May this word be alive, active, sharp. And Lord, may you give us eyes to see and may you fill us with your presence, Holy Spirit, that these words come to life, not just in our minds and our hearts, but they come to life in our life. So have your work in us today, Holy Spirit, as we seek to grow in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I want to show you something. Here is a picture of my Bible. So that is what chapter 9 into chapter 10. Can you go to the next page, please? So this is, this is how I prepare. 
Okay, so I spend time in the scriptures. I know some of you are like, this dude's like beautiful mind. Like, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. But here, the reason I show you this is because I understand that we, we think about Bible and reading scripture. I don't want you just to read scripture. I want you to learn how to eat and study scripture. So this word comes to life in, in your life. So as we look at uh, chapter 9, and we're picking up, uh, last week Jesus healed two men born blind, or two men who were blind, who asked for healing and mercy, O son of David, and Jesus healed them. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord. And they were healed. As they went out, a man who was demon-possessed and mute was brought in, and he was healed. The demon was cast out. The people were amazed. They were like, what? We've never seen anything like this. But then the Pharisees were like, yeah, he's doing this by the power of Satan. And we'll, we'll see a conversation that takes place between Jesus and the Pharisees where he rebukes them and says, no, what you're actually doing, you're not just blaspheming the work of Jesus, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Well, this morning we pick up in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and we're hit with a summary statement very similar to the summary statement that we encounter in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And what it does is it gives us the threefold ministry of Jesus, the threefold kingdom ministry. And I'll read the verses, Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And like I said in, in chapter 4, verse 23, and so what I would do in my Bible is I would highlight this, and then I would write a little note, Matthew 4, 23, and I would go over to Matthew 4, 23, and I'd highlight that in my Bible as well. Because this, this statement is repeated twice, and it's repeated for a purpose. This is showing us Jesus' ministry. Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And so what we see here in these two verses, and really through the entirety of Matthew's gospel, is we see not only the statement here of the threefold kingdom ministry of Jesus, but we also see it unfolding in front of our eyes. And so the threefold ministry, kingdom ministry, is teaching, proclaiming, and healing. And we see that as we, we study the gospel of Matthew. First teaching, Jesus was continually going into the synagogues. He was continually sitting on hillsides. He was continually sitting in boats. He was, he was teaching. And as we study the gospel, what we receive in and through studying the scriptures is we get kingdom teaching. And that's what we need. We need kingdom of God teaching, kingdom of heaven teaching. This is how a citizen of the kingdom of God thinks and how we serve and how we worship and how we treat others. This is how we live. This is how we live out a life that honors Christ. This is how we live out a life that builds the kingdom. We are told what to expect in Jesus' teaching. We're told how to face adversity in Jesus' teaching. And we are told how to live a life of faith in a world that is literally going to hell. Literally. And what we find in the scriptures is that when we study the words and when we build our life on Jesus and his teaching, we discover that we have built our life on the most stable substance in the universe that is the rock, the rock that is Christ. And the waves will come and the winds will beat against that house. As you all know, there are storms in this life. We are either in a storm, uh, going through it, getting to the tail end of it, or we're getting ready for another one. And here's what's crazy. When you build your life on Jesus and his teaching, your life has stability, no matter what has happened circumstantially. But if you do not build your life on Christ and his teaching, you have no firm foundation. And in fact, you come to discover that you're building your life on shifting sands. So there are those who hear Jesus' teaching. That's why I prayed, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. Not just ears to, ears to hear, but to obey. When you build your life on Jesus and his teaching, you have a firm rock to stand on. Okay? For everyone else who hears Jesus' teaching and does not do them, does not build their life on them, all there is is shifting sands, winds, waves, catastrophe. First part of Jesus' ministry was teaching. We need his teaching. Second aspect of Jesus' kingdom ministry, proclaiming. Proclaiming. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. John the Baptist proclaimed it back in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. In those days, John the Baptist, that prophet, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying what? Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Turn from the kingdom of darkness, turn to the kingdom of light, the king is coming. Jesus proclaimed it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Turn. This is kingdom proclamation. And what Jesus is proclaiming is that the kingdom of heaven is near. And the kingdom of heaven, when it's referenced, it's not just referencing a place, although it is. You see, the kingdom of heaven is a place that, that God will bring, Jesus will bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Earth will be invaded by the literal kingdom of Christ on earth. But it's not just a place, something that we look forward to in the future. The kingdom of heaven is actually a person. It is a person in the presence of Jesus. That the kingdom of heaven was not only near, but the kingdom of heaven was among them. He was proclaiming himself. The king has come. And as the king, he possessed total authority and the power of the kingdom. The good news, family, is that Jesus has come. In a world that is lacking good news, I will often read through the Dallas Morning newspaper, and it's, it's crazy that it's just one story after the next, after the next. Bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And you go scouring. Where is the good news? Jesus is the good news. He has come to save sinners. He has come to liberate those who are in bondage. He's come to give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. He has come. Jesus has come. He is the good news. The third aspect of Jesus' kingdom ministry was healing. Healing. In fact, we read that he healed every disease and sickness. And we have witnessed that like chapter after chapter, healing after healing. We've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him cleanse and heal. We've seen him stop storms. He has, he has performed the miracles of the kingdom. And in fact, every one of his miracles, every one of his healings, the casting out of the demons, all it did was confirm his identity, that he truly is the one. In Matthew chapter 11, one chapter over from where we're studying, John the Baptist, at this point in time in his ministry, is now imprisoned. And he gets kind of concerned. He gets kind of worried. Because he's, he's like, he knows he's about to die got a pretty good idea that's where he's headed. And he wants to know, is, Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really the one, or are we waiting for somebody else? Matthew 11, verse 2 through 6. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, that is the Christ, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you really him? Are you really the one? I think many uh, today are asking, I mean, is Jesus really? I mean, is he really the one? I mean, there's so many options, you know? I got so many choices. Is Jesus really the one? Or should we expect somebody else? Verse 4, Jesus replied, listen to this. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf here, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus is like, I'm the one. I'm the one. I am the one that you've been searching for. I'm the one that you have been waiting for. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. It's me, John. John, it's me. Church, it really is him. It really is Jesus. He really is the one. Jesus is the healer. We see it chapter after chapter, all confirming his identity. But it wasn't just to confirm his identity and his authority and his power. But it was also to demonstrate Jesus' compassion. Did you know that Jesus has compassion for people who suffer? That, that Jesus in his very heart, his very being, is moved by the suffering of people. 
Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus saw the crowds. You know, it's interesting, when, when he saw the crowds and when others saw the crowds, he prob- they probably didn't see the same thing. You know, sometimes when, when the disciples saw the crowds, they were like, oh man, send all these people away. They're getting in the way, Jesus. Others saw the crowd, oh, look at all these people. But when Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved. And in fact, we were told that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That is the natural state of a sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless. We were told that Jesus had compassion. It is the Greek word splagizomai. Everybody say splagizomai. It's such a great word. Splagizomai. You know what's crazy about splagizomai? It actually sounds like what it is. I mean, to have splagizomai, I mean, it almost sounds like you got something going on in the tummy. What do you got? Oh, I got splagizomai. Oh, yeah, I had splagizomai last week. It was crazy. I got all splagizomai. Splagizomai, yeah. What it is, it's actually an emotion that starts in the depths of the stomach. Like you feel. Like you've ever been talking to somebody and they're sharing the hardships that they're going through and you're moved. You're moved by the suffering. Like Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he was moved. Because they were harassed. The word means they were weary and exhausted and burdened. I believe some of us today are weary and exhausted and burdened. And they were helpless. They were defenseless. They had no one to protect them. Quote here from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Like sheep bothered by wolves. And here's what's interesting. When sheep get surrounded, like if a sheep is alone and it gets surrounded by wolves, you know what it does? It lies down. Totally hopeless and helpless. Lying down, unable to help themselves and having no shepherd to guide them and protect them, the people were maligned by the religious leaders. They were wandering about with no spiritual guidance. It's what I see today. I see a world full of people wandering around with no spiritual guidance. And then I hear people like, well, I'm super spiritual. I'm super spiritual. And you're like, okay, so who's leading you? And you're like, oh, these feathers or these stones or some weird. And you're like listening and you're going, you need a shepherd. You know? And there were teachers of, these, of this day, the religious leaders, they should have been the shepherds. They were keeping the sheep from following the true shepherd. There are people today who are trying to keep us from following Jesus. And they come in the name of God. When Jesus saw the people, his shepherd's heart kicked in because Jesus in John 10, 11 tells us, I am the good shepherd. That when Jesus sees sheep with no shepherd, splagizomai, the heart of a shepherd kicks in, his compassion and his heart for his sheep. Sheep without a shepherd and sheep without a flock are not only lost, but in mortal danger. Sheep without a shepherd and sheep without a flock are not only lost, but in mortal danger. I will tell you, it is not better out there. I will often have times where people will say, oh, I'm just kind of looking for a church, you know, kind of wandering around. You know, we try this church, we try that church, we try this church, we try that church. Or, you know, we just, we just have church at home. Like, you know, we don't really need to go to church, and we don't really— and all I hear is danger. You are wolf food. And the enemy just lurks around. Seeking someone to devour. He loves sheep meat. Sheep without a shepherd and sheep without a flock are sheep meat. And all, of, all through the scriptures we are told to continually find ourselves in a place where we can be shepherded and among the flock. Family, find your flock. Find your shepherd and plug in. Move all the way in and get in the middle of the flock. 
Well, Jesus moved by the needs of the masses of people. He turned to his disciples. He's like, okay, men, it's time to get to work. And I feel like what the Lord is saying to us, church, is church, hey, it's time to get to work. There's work to be done. There is kingdom work that needs to be done. Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38. As he's looking out over the crowds, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask. You know, uh, let's do that, actually. It says ask. I feel like we should obey when Jesus says stuff. So uh, let's do that. So, Lord, we approach you together as a church. You tell us to ask. So we're going to ask this morning. Lord of the harvest... We read in your word, and Jesus, you're speaking to your church this morning very clearly that there is a harvest, but you need workers. And so, Lord, we ask that you would raise up workers who would go out into your harvest and would be faithful to do the work of harvesting. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So here's the deal. If you ask, you are called. If you start asking, Jesus starts calling. And here's what's, what's fascinating. You know, Jesus looks out over God's crop over all the centuries, and he sees fields that are white for harvest. There is fruit ready to be picked right now. We are surrounded by people who are literally primed and ready to receive the gospel. They are everywhere. There is a harvest among us. But so often in the church, we become kingdom watchers and not kingdom workers. We become kingdom watchers and not kingdom workers. Like, we hear about the kingdom, we hear about the ministry, we think about it, we're like, oh, that's cool. But we're actually called to work and to start harvesting that right now there are people who are primed and ready to receive the gospel. All they need is someone to share with them of what Jesus has done for them. If you ask, you are called. Jesus tells his disciples to ask, verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus called. <laughs> you start asking? Jesus is like, I received your resume. You were hired. And so Jesus called his disciples, his 12 to him, and he gave them, listen to this, authority. You should have underlined that word in your Bible, authority. It's a profound word. To drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. That is a crazy verse. Jesus calls his disciples into kingdom work, and then he gives them kingdom of heaven authority and power. The same kingdom authority and power that is on display in the ministry of Jesus. You see, Jesus had authority and power over demons. He had authority and power over sickness. He had authority and power over disease. Jesus takes what is his and he gives it to his disciples and he's like, it's time for you to get to work. These disciples are moving from learners to workers. And I believe that there is a point in every Christian's life where it's time to move from just a learner to a doer. Move from a sit and soaker to like an actual doer of the work. And, and what's crazy is when we obey him, we are given an authority and a power that is not our own. We're given an authority of a kingdom and we're given a power of a kingdom that is not of this world. And so Jesus empowers these men to go out and do a work that only God could do through them. Did you know that God is calling each and every one of us to do a work that only God can do through you? It is a work you will not have the horsepower for in and of yourself. It is a work that is way bigger than you. It is beyond you. And that's exactly why he's calling you to it so he can show off through you. 
And so at this moment, we see between verse 1 and verse 2, something significant happens. And it's very subtle. And if we're not really paying attention, we'll miss it. In verse 1, Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him. In verse 2, these are the names of the 12 what? Apostles. Y'all see what happened there? From the 12 disciples to the 12 apostles. From the learners to now the sent ones. Given authority and power. And for the first time in Matthew's gospel, we get a complete list of the 12 apostles. In verse 2, first Simon, who was called Peter, and brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We have four fishermen, a tax collector, and a religious zealot who hated tax collectors, which is hilarious because this like, sounds like the start of a joke. So you got four, four fishermen, tax collector, and a person who hates tax collectors. Like, isn't that the picture of the church? Like, God takes people who wouldn't normally hang out. And he brings us all together, and he does a powerful work through us. And when we read this list, what, what comes to mind, this is a group of men who become some of the most earth-shaking, world-changing servants in history. These are the 12 apostles. These are Jesus' main agents to carry out his work in that time in history. Out of curiosity... Who are Jesus' main agents to carry out his work today? Hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to ask that again. <laughs> Who are Jesus' main agents to carry out his mission today? <laughs> Who are? See, this is crazy because this is going to bump up against our suburban stupor. This is going to bump up our whole like, oh, it's Saturday, I'm at Lowe's. <laughs> oh, look at the barbecue grills. <laughs> Honey, this is going to bump up against all of the things we're bombarded with, all the things we think about and we're consumed about, this is like a shift of mission. Who are Jesus' main agents to carry out his mission today? We are. We are. But where are the workers? Jesus' instructions to his disciples, now apostles. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. This is so cool. Do not go out among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And that may sound strange to us because most of us are Gentiles, but what he's saying is go to the Israel first, the gospel to the Jews first. But then in this, we get a little bit of our mission. Where are we sent? We're sent to go find the lost sheep. Where are they? Well, they go, blah, lost, blah, lost, blah, lost. They may not say that. They may not wear a sticker. They may not have it on a bumper sticker, but they are lost. And we're sent to go out. And it's like, okay, I'm at Walmart. Where? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is my first thought. What am I doing here? Where are they? When I'm driving through my neighborhood, where are they, Lord? Where are the lost sheep? When I'm at work, when I'm connecting with a new customer, when I'm, when I'm going into a new market, and I'm getting sent by my company, I'm being sent somewhere else, I show up in that city and I start looking around, okay, who is it? I'm not just looking to ex exalt my own kingdom. Like, who is it, Lord? Where are the lost sheep? You start listening for the bah, helpless, bah, harassed. And we start going and we start reaching those lost sheep and we start bringing them to Jesus so that they can have a shepherd and that they can have a flock. 
And so Jesus goes on to tell them about their, their, their mission. They are sent out. Go, proclaim. Verse 7, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Hey, Jesus has come. Jesus has come. He's what you're searching for. Jesus has come. And then listen to this, verse 8. We don't know what to do with this, honestly. Like we read this and we're like, does that have any application today? Listen to this. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Does that sound crazy to any of you? I mean, think about that. Could you imagine having the power and the authority to raise the dead? To be given the kingdom of God authority and the kingdom of God power to literally heal sickness or to cleanse the leper or to command the demons to flee. See, what Jesus does here is he gives them his authority and he gives them his power and he sends them out to carry out the threefold ministry of the kingdom. Teaching, preaching, healing. And when we, when we see them, they were called to preach. Jesus empowered them to preach. They were called to heal, so Jesus empowered them to heal. They had the authority and power to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, drive out demons. They were called to do what Jesus did. Did you know, family, that we are called to do the things that Jesus did? I'm going to say that again. We have been called to do the very things that Jesus did. Jesus said, greater works than these you will do. So when I think about these great works, and then I think about our average Christian experience, there is a massive breakdown. Because we think about it, we're like, what are these great works, and how am I doing them? You are literally, we are called to do the very things that Jesus did. So the question is, does that mean we are called to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and preach and heal lepers and carry this message out? Are we called to teach, preach, and heal? The only thing on there that sounds crazy is healing. And the only reason it sounds crazy is because we have an unbiblical worldview. We have an unbiblical worldview that denies the miraculous. We have an unbiblical worldview that denies the supernatural. We have an unbiblical worldview that somehow believes that Jesus doesn't move in power and presence today. I am told in the scriptures where two or more are gathered, Jesus is there in in our midst. So that means Jesus is here. That means there is power here because there is presence here. There is authority here in Jesus' name and in his presence through the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his church that I will give you the keys to the kingdom. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I don't know about you, but that sounds like authority. And when he said that power will come upon you, dunamai, and you will be my witnesses. And when we read about power on display through the Gospels and through the book of Acts, all I see is power. So we've been given authority and power. Where is it? God will only move as far as we're willing to go with him. If you believe that God does not move supernaturally today, that is the boundary you have set. Chris Nelson, our worship pastor, is currently, well, at 2.30, he's going to get on a flight, and he's flying to India. And he's going there for ministry. This is what he shared with me yesterday. He, by the way, graduated from college, so we all need to congratulate him. Yeah. So he was telling me about one of his fellow workers. He's with East West. It's a missionary organization, and he, he's doing some administrative stuff, so they're sending him over there. Well, another guy who just got back from a trip who's like, he, he's in the oil industry, and he just not the guy that you would expect to have this particular story. Anyway, they were walking along uh, uh, in Nepal, and they, they stumbled upon this, this very remote village that the gospel had not reached. This literally happened last week. So they go into this, this village, and there is a person who was born blind, born blind, 70 years blind, prayed over, radically healed, 
in front of a guy who says, I don't really know that God moves that way. God moved in power. The gospel is proclaimed, and that village is reached with the gospel. It really, we're talking about real work. God really moves this way. But we're so conditioned by this kind of Western world that we live in that we don't really have to turn to God. We don't really have to walk by faith because we have all this stuff and it's so comfortable and it's so cushy. We're just like, mm, it's so nice. And God wants to blow up those boxes. We have more authority and more power than we realize through Jesus. Did you know that you have all of the authority and power of the kingdom of heaven to carry out every work you're called to carry out. You have all of the authority and all of the power of the kingdom of heaven to carry out the works you're called to carry out. Did you know Jesus never did a single miracle, never performed a single miracle outside of the Father's will and outside of the power of the Holy Spirit? This is not about you walking around going, oh, I got the power now. I can do whatever I want to do. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about, I will give you the authority and the power to carry out the very things I'm calling you to do. And that means if you're called to preach, then preach. If you're called to heal, then heal. If you are called, God calls you to lay your hands on the sick, lay your hands on the sick. If God tells you to take somebody's hand who has just died and you are told to raise them up, raise them up. Because the kingdom of God is being proclaimed in the midst. And God is glorified. So Jesus sends them out. And he sends them out with just the shirts on their backs, which I find fascinating. Verse 9. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take in your belts. No bag for the journey. No extra shirt. No sandals. No staff. For the worker is worth his keep. That's crazy. Could you imagine just being sent out with nothing? But what is Jesus teaching them? He can be trusted. He is faithful. And he sends them to go look for kingdom people. He sends them to these cities, these villages, verses 11 and following. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. Stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it a greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest upon it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust from your feet. Jesus sends, sends them out. If they receive the apostle, they are receiving Jesus because they're receiving the one who sent him. If they do not receive the apostle, the teaching, and all that, they are literally denying the Lord Jesus. And that is true today. You know, when we go out and we share the gospel with people, we have this anxiety, this worry. Well, what if they don't believe? What if they don't receive? What if it's embarrassing? What if... Here's the thing. If somebody rejects the messenger or the message... What they're really doing is rejecting the one who sent you. Yeah, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the one who sent you. And Jesus had some really strong language. He was telling the disciples, hey, by the way, you're going through cities and they're set for destruction. There is going to be judgment coming. Look at verse 15 in your Bible. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town, the town that rejects the messenger. Forty years after, roughly, Jesus delivers this prophecy to his apostles. Rome destroys Israel. I mean, absolutely destroys the cities, the villages, burns them to the ground, raises them to the ground. And Israel ceases to exist for like millennia. It's a staggering judgment. But when we read this, something that we need to hear and we need to wake up, family, by the way, I, and I'm just absolutely convinced of this, that we are living in the last days. Like we right now are living in the last days. This ain't the time to get lazy. And we are living in cities that are set for destruction. From the Maserati to the mansion. From the, from the nice communities to like the smaller subdivisions. Like it's set for destruction. Do you know that? Literally, Jesus speaking, Matthew 24. Just flip over in your Bible quickly. Matthew 24, verse 36 through 41. 
but about that day. Or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. We, get, we don't know when Jesus is going to return, but there are signs all around us. And those signs are all pointing to his return. He's coming. Things are heating up. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. Did you know that Noah, a a preacher of righteousness, preached for 120 years? Not one person came to faith. Not one. Everything was going great. Every thought, meditation of man's heart, utter wickedness all the time. The earth was just filling with wickedness. It was vile. It was gross. And then all of a sudden, Noah's like, all right, guys, let's get in the boat. And then there was raindrops. See, what we don't realize in this suburban stupor that we live is that we're actually being convinced of a total lie. We're being convinced that this is all there is. And there is going to be a moment when Jesus returns, and we read about it. We, it, it listen to this. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came. That is how it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, and the other left. Like, this is crazy. This, some people go, they're like, oh, this is a, a fire and brimstone message, and blah, 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 which is ironic, because that's exactly what God rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah, was fire and brimstone. And here's what this, so we have to think about. This is why it's so important for us to carry out the Lord's work. Because destruction is really coming. We've been called to carry the message of Jesus, but be warned. Kingdom of God work is the most dangerous job in history. So this is where you have to consider the cost. Are you willing to pay the cost? Matthew 10, flip back to Matthew 10. Verses 16 and following, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. You are being hunted. Be cautious and calm. Be aware and awake. Verse 17, be on your guard. You're going to be handed over to local councils and flogged and beaten in the synagogues. On account of me, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Like everything we read here happened to the apostles. This is prophetic. They literally were dragged in front of councils and beaten in synagogues. All of them suffered persecution. And here's what's interesting. When I know that I'm going to face something difficult, I try to plan what I'm going to say. Y'all ever do that? Y'all have a difficult, difficult conversation coming up, and you're like, okay, so this is what I'm going to say, and they're going to say this, and I'm going to say that, and then they're going to say this, and I'm going to say that. Oh, I'm going to bring some scripture into it, too. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I'm, oh, and I'm going to say this passage, and then they're going to— I'm going to just, You ever do that? Try to plan out what you're going to say? <laughs> and listen to this, verse 19, but when they arrest you— Do not worry about what you say or how you say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That we have been given the presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit, and if we are surrendered to Holy Spirit, no matter what we face, He will give us the words to say. And then Jesus goes on to say, brother will betray brother to death, father his child. Children will rebel against parents and have them put to death. You're going to be hated by everyone because of me. You will be hated by everyone because of me. We don't see that on a lot of t-shirts. You know what I mean? But it is the truth. We will be hated now, we live in a culture that, that used to be pretty warm to Christianity, and now it's like it's gotten lukewarm. It's getting to the point now where it's getting, it's getting kind of icy, actually. 
And I don't think it's very long before we are hated. But listen to this. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That is one of the great demonstrations that you are a believer. That you can face difficulties and you stand firm in the faith. That's one of the great evidences that you're truly a believer. And what was interesting, during COVID, we had three months off from church, and 50% of the church didn't come back. It didn't take persecution. (laughs) It didn't take floggings or beatings. It just took three months at home. It was a winnowing, and we watched it. Stand firm. Jesus concludes where we'll, we'll end this morning. In verse 24 and 25, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more will the members of his household? We already saw the Pharisees called Jesus Satan. We, as Jesus' followers, will be treated like our master. So here's the deal. The kingdom of God is hiring. There's some incredible aspects to the job, right? Like authority, power, reaching lost sheep, carrying the message out, being used for kingdom purposes, but it also comes at a cost. Are you willing to forsake your life to really gain it? Are you really willing to lay down your life and follow? Or do you want to just go back to living the suburban stupor? Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to believe and to obey. Holy Spirit, move in and among us. Bring about that powerful work where you call us into greater intimacy. You call us to follow you. Lord, I believe there are harassed and helpless sheep in here, lost sheep among us, Jesus. Lord Jesus, call them. Call them to yourself. If you feel that Jesus is calling you by name to follow him, to come to him, I'm just going to ask this morning that you raise your hand so I can see you. Yeah, Jesus is calling you. He's calling you, and he's calling you. Yeah, he's calling you by name. Okay, you who raise your hand, I want you to pray with me, okay? Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried, and I believe you have risen. Jesus saved my life. I give you my life. Come into my life and make me new. Forgive me of my sins. Mm. To you, my friend, the Bible says you have just passed from spiritual blindness to sight. You are forever a son of the living God. Nobody can rip you from his kung fu grip. You are loved, my brother, and you are saved. And to you over here who have raised your hand, if that's truly your heart's prayer, you've passed from death to life. You are alive today in Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, Lord, we love you. Yeah. What is your name? Danny? Welcome to the family, Danny. Yeah. All right, family, let's stand together. It is time. to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you 
are loved. You're loved, Danny. You are loved today. And when you all get a chance, come love on Danny. You welcome him to the household of faith. You welcome him to the family. And as you're leaving here, swing by the newcomer's table. If you're new, but family, I want you to know that you are so very loved. Let's love one another and let's go rock the streets with Jesus. We'll see you next time. <laughs>